This is Comet Picks by The Glick. And I'm your host, Jason Glick. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing great, John. Cool. Here for another live recording. Yes, we, we are actually recording from the Fairmont um, in San Jose because we are um, currently uh, getting ready to attend Fondue. We aren't, aren't doing it yet because we're here on Thursday before things start. Day zero. Day zero. <laughs> All we've got looking f- to look forward to is the uh, swap meet later tonight and getting our badges as well. But, you know, it's like we... Like we love this convention, and you know because we are at an anime and um, Japanese culture themed convention, it's like we're we're here to talk about more manga. Yeah, in fact, it's like I guess as, as I said last time, like we were going about the uh, the basically I call like the hidden treasures of manga, and God knows that you know with all the manga that's been released over the past decade, there's been some stuff that has sold like insanely well, such as like you know every title from Shonen Jump, but there's also been like some stuff that just you know, it's been overlooked for whatever reason. You know, it's just, it just doesn't command the, like, the the mind share or the presence or like, you know, or was published by Dark Horse. So, so I just want to like, give some give some like um give some props to some of these titles that I've that I've enjoyed over the years, but you know, you don't really hear people talk about or just have been forgotten in the shuffle. I mean, a lot of the stuff that, that I that I grabbed was just kinda like uh you know, it's actually that, that originally published in um in flipped format from that reads like normally in in English terms from from left to right instead of like you know Japanese um standard from right to left. So start things off. We're gonna, like I said, I've I've given Dark Horse um huge amounts of shit over the years for how they're just not able to like properly sell or promote their series. And God knows like I'm not gonna stop until like they actually do. But um thing is like they did, like because that's because like a lot of the series that they they have published over the years have been really great case in point um the series called the two faces of tomorrow now this series was originally published as a 12 issue maxi series that's right single issues um in dark from dark horse back in the uh, late back in the late 90s i mean right we're talking really old school here and i would have bought it years ago but um circumstances didn't like didn't align and i just didn't pick it up but then I heard that Dark Horse actually did go out and publish a nice um, soft cover edition of all of all twelve issues. Now, the story is, is based on a uh, science fiction novel by by the uh, by James P. Hogan. It was adapted by Yuginobu Hoshino, who did some great um, hard science fiction tales uh, published under the um, Viz's um, at, uh, under Viz's title, um, like Two Thousand and One Nights. Those are recommended as well. I'll probably talk about them in a later podcast too. But Two Faces of Tomorrow is a great. Um, a meta concept for um for science fiction stories because like I mean we've, we're all familiar with the with like stories where basically have like a you know, man trying to like um co- like, compete against like an evil supercomputer who is basically like, you know determined to like, wipe out all of mankind for for because it's like like kind of glitch or, a glitch or something. I mean these stories are old old as time time itself or, or old as the science fiction genre itself. But um, the two faces of takes an interesting meta approach to it in the sense that in order to that. Uh, that um, that um, as like, as mankind feature like goes and um, like like how how are we going to like advance to the next next generation and get um, you know like um, like evolve from where we are? So we need like a, like a fully formed um, like AI who is going to help us along this along these lines. So, but at the same time, we can't risk this AI just like going berserk um, for for whatever reason and and just and like um, and wiping this all out. So what we're going to do here is um, take is take is um, upgrade this one this, uh, this AI from this um, power st- from from this one space station 
and then I'm provoke it to see what happens. Like in a sense, we're going to simulate that whole like computer gone mad um, aspect in a in a in a, in, a, um, in an arena we can control just to see just to see what happens to figure out how we can guard against you know it actually going crazy in real real life terms. It's a great concept, and for the most and it's carried out fairly well in the first for the first part of the series until well you can probably guess what happens the computer goes berserk the um, the simulation aspect is is kind of like aban- is abandoned and people start to die and the military gets involved and um, things go to hell from there it's I mean it's like on one hand like, yes you've got it's it's a good it's a nice big helping of like old school science fiction tropes and you've got the square jawed science like um, um science fiction hero uh, the woman who was the uncivil woman who is who was done wrong by machines who um who complicates matters later on, like the um, like the uh, like the blonde like like the blonde like the blonde love interest, the military guy who who knows what he's doing and won't listen to these crazy scientists and all. I mean, it's on one hand, it's like it's kind of if if you're familiar with these kind of things, it's kind of fun to see, observe all these tropes. But the same I can realize that they're kind of like you know predictable and annoying in the same way as well. Still, still though, like it does actually manage to um transcend these these bits in the end. When when um, humanity and the machine are forced to work together for mutual interests, and it's it's like and it's and it's still kind of like um really like entertainingly paced for for the most part. I mean, um, Hoshino's art like doesn't it is generally it's fairly fairly realis- realistic and and detailed in a way that like most manga most manga aren't. And it's like I said, it's not. See, it's not your standard standard. It's not your standard fare. I mean, it's like it's re- it's hard science fiction. But it's but it's still like I'm really it's like really entertainingly like and really paced entertainingly paced and told for the most part, like I like even with its even with its flaws and predictability, I still enjoyed it, and I kind of wish that we, that um that had gotten more, it's like a more props so that we'd get more stuff from Hoshino because he's done some great stuff with um, 2001 Nights, and if you're you know really hardcore like his um his Sacred Tiger um like um um publication from Viz years ago. But you know that's not the only. Yeah, you know, I could probably do an entire podcast about like underpublished, uh, under underappreciated stuff from Dark Horse. But I'm gonna limit myself to two titles here because like the other title I want to talk about here is as from a um, from a creator who is like really um, talented for the most part. Um, someone who I've uh, who um, is really well known um, in in both manga and anime circles. That's Mazuma Nishiro. I mean, the man is best known for for creating Ghost in the Shell. And, and Appleseed, who both both of both of whom both of which franchises have seen, um, like like anime uh, movies and and TV series that have um, expanded its its popularity their popularity immeasurably. I mean, like to be honest, like I I mean, while the Appleseed um, anime adaptations have been kind of like eh, as far as I'm concerned, the Ghost in the Shell um is kind of the Ghost in the Shell adaptations, both the movies and the TV series have actually been textbooked. Um, examples of how to make a series better than source material. I mean, like I said, I, I recommend watching the uh, Ghost in the Shell anime much more than reading the uh, the manga. But however, that's not the case with um, his his series Dominion. Dominion is a story about um, about um, Newport City, which is um, has a, a special like um, tank police division um, um, that's regularly set out to handle um, handle um, height. High tech crimes. And while the first series published on Dark Horse is is good is good fun and all, it's the second series, Conflict One, No More Noise, that is the really special thing. This is, for my money, this is the 
best thing I've ever read from Shiro because it, it perfectly captures, captures his, his sociopathic sense of, sense of humor and it's like and his and his tech leanings without being obsessively so. It's basically a um, a story about the um, a single day in the lives of, of Newport Newport's um, tank police led by um, the, um, focused on Leona Ozaki, who is like their hardcore um, like um, like like she's not she's not the secretary, but she is like the um, most hardcore police police officer there who loves being in their mini tank Bonaparte um, oper- um, operation and lo- and um, basically leads like leads the crew. Um, like in their in their day to day day to day lives, it's like this series. It's it's a really it's a really really dense dense funny detailed story about about just like you know what goes on in these in in, in this police these these police officer officers lives, and it's got lots of lots of fun fun stuff from like Tomazaki from Ozaki just trying to deal with um like higher uh, the um the prefectural higher ups as they try to. As they try to figure out what's best for the for the tank division, for subordinates, as they try to deal with you know their own their personal dramas, and also the uh, Puma twins, who are kind of the archetypal um, like anime cat girls who end up getting drafted into the um, into the tank police, and just like causing chaos like as things go on. But it also tells a sort of story about how the um, how one um, one arms company is basically manipulating this um this criminal um. Uh, Urushimaru, I'm like into um, like creating chaos in order to make sure they get the next um like tank tank contract with the police. It's a great dense story, and I it's like I just love the um the, the level of action and action in the in the story that that I'm sure is communicates through the great um, black black and white art. I mean like his his um there's there's color used sparingly in the intro, but his black and white art is just great detailed stuff that, that I wish we'd see more of. Rather than just the um, full color stuff we see, um, seem doing now. His, I mean, the guy seems to have fucked off and just done nothing but porno manga for like the last um, decade or so. Because after like Ghost in the Shell two, he hasn't done anything substantial. And for fuck's sake, I mean, he promised the end of of um, Dominion right here. Like, hey, he was going to do like four more. I mean, god damn, this is like, like I I I loved his um, like the density of story. And the quality of that he invests in the action and the characters and humor for this particular volume that I wanted to see more, and that you know, well overall it's like, you know, after Ghost in the Shell two, you could be forgiven if you didn't want to see anything else from from Shiro again, but with Dominion, you read this and you think, man, I wish he'd come back and actually do comics again. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, so so moving on though, it's like. From the um, from the like, from the sociopath- sociopathically absurd, we're going to the the, uh, the unabashedly raunchy to um, a series called Heartbroken Angels from creator named Masiko Kikuni. Now, I, if you if this name sounds familiar, then you're either a a fan of um, this is um, like a pulp a mature manga anthology um, all, from all these years ago, or you're a fan of the um, webcomic Sexy Losers because after its creator Hard, later known as Clay. I'm talking about. It's like he. This is a series that was big. That was a big influence for him. This is a series that um. It's it doesn't really have a uh, like. It's not a defined prota- have defined protagonist. It's got like a lot of recurring characters, um. Like from the uh, poor and obscure, like father and son who just you know just they they're they're poor. They don't have any money, so they just take their um pleasures where they can get and just like and they take like really ridiculous um like. 
like sequences where like his his father covers his eyes saying, Hey, guess whose son is the person who loves you most? And he but the only reason he's doing this is so he can prevent his son from seeing all these great toys that all the people have, like around the uh it's like around the neighborhood and all. And there's also these um this, this cute um couple who like oh they're, they're, you can see they're they're so in love, but at the same time like the the girl like the guy is really perverted. The girl is like, Oh, she's so so bashful all that they're that they're kinda of like they're 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 really perverse in the sense that it's like oh she's oh she's got this um like mirror under his in his um f- on his shoe so it's like oh I just want to make sure that you don't have any stray pubic hairs coming out of your underwear and she's like oh well can you see anything it's like it's just like this really risque entendre stuff and it's but it's also the series is also completely ridiculous in the sense you get like bits where where there's like you got this um like this fuse being lit and it's like it's gonna blow blow up this this couple and she's like oh and like the guy is like, oh, I can't get my um, pants undone to um, pee on the uh, fuse, but um, can you do it? I'm like, can you take off your underwear and pee on it? And she's like, oh, I can. And she's like, she's trying to do it, but then like the guy like looks, like he sees her, and like he just moves his head in front of the stream. He's like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this is like the kind of humor this the series has. It's like it's it's really it's really um, perversely creative, and it's like it's but it's also a ton of fun as well. And um, Viz. Um, all published um, two volumes of it from their Pope volume. I, I can't um, recall if this is actually um, all the series, all they did in the series, but it's but it's a great raunchy fun like for um, enlightened um, in, individuals, and it's something like that. You know, I wish we could. I get the feeling that there was probably there probably would be more, but um, Pope didn't last long. I think it was it was published during the dark days, dark ages of manga, back in the days when. Um, when um, Viz and Dark Horse ruled the playground, and that a um, a mature reader's manga such as Pulp could actually like hold some mind share right there. I mean, to tell you, I mean, when when Pulp, when the um, when the flip, when the unflipped era began, when Tokyo Pop arrived on the scene, like Pulp basically up and died a uh, up and died a quick death, regrettably. But it was, but it was a it was a great series for its time, and I I I mourn its passing. However. If you don't want um, really raunchy, um, mature reader stuff from Viz back in the old school, there's also there's always um, mobile police pat labor. Now, I'll, now like uh, both, uh, I've probably, probably said before that like I'm a huge fan of pat labor. And John, you're you're a big fan as well. Yes. Yeah, and um, I, and it's like and the these and Viz published two volumes of it, of the of the manga. like. Things like Pat Labor when it was came out, it was basically um, it was a, it was an it was OVA series that, that there was an anime, but it was also a manga published concurrently by an um, artist on the sound Yuki. And um, well, normally I'd be annoyed that we're getting like kind of like a, what is essentially an alternate universe version of, of Pat Labor. This is essentially like the um Yuki's um soul version of Pat Labor because like well the, the anime had like lots of talented people working on it from um like. From from Mamoroshi to Utaka Izubuchi to um, Kazunori Ito to Kimi Takada, um, like this is like his sole version of the series. And but the charm of Pat Labor is that it's it's very um, mutable and adaptable concept. It's basically like blue class blue collar um, labor operators. I mean these are these are like um, these are like the police who are basically like assigned to deal with um, crimes involving laborers. Um, laborers are basically like um, mecca. And the Pat Labor world is basically like a uh, World like ten years in our future, where um giant mecha have been have been introduced in order to like handle like um giant um handle um like construction duties, but at the same time like there's this like um a new class of crime like like labor crime involving these labors. 
And so the pat laborers, patrol laborers, has been introduced in order to like control these things. Pat labor the series focuses on like special vehicle section section special vehicle section two, and their oddball their oddball creators and oddball um, like cast members, like in like trying to um like control the control operate the labor crime, and um, these two volumes basically deal with the formation of of special vehicle section two, and um and and it's and their evolution as 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 police officers as well. It's great funny stuff. And, and it's also like great, like nice, nice bit of um character develop, development as well. It's like because like if you've seen the series, I mean, like the character, the character voices and personalities seem completely authentic. And it also, and like I said, I'm always up for seeing um, more of my favorite character in all of anime, um, Captain Kichigoto, the head of Section Two, because he's a cause he's a complete devious bastard who has a plan for for every situation, and um. And one of the best parts in the um, first volume is that he leaves his um, his um, his fellows um, section heads um, like crew out to, out out to dry when they're faced against a um, a a high end construction labor who's wreaking havoc in um in to in, in, in Tokyo's Ueno Park district, and he leaves them out to to dry just because you know hey, the higher ups don't believe that that a group filled with oddballs like a sec like section two can actually handle this. But by leaving, by showing that they can actually take out this um, threat that that, sec- that section one couldn't, it's like, there you go. They've got their justification for handling everything, everything else. And it's a great character-driven perspective from from, me- for, from mecha action. And even though there were only two volumes published, God, I wish there were more because I could never get enough pat labor. <laughs> yeah, right, right, John. Ditto. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's like I mean, it's like I remember like Sankaku published a poll on like, you know what what series would people most like to see redone um, as as a remake and Pat Labor topped because you know this is a great concept that can be that's it's infinitely adaptable to like to any to um any era. I mean, just say it's ten years in the future, we've got Mecha, and there's also like but there's also like a blue collar aspect to it. You know, so you just get this great character driven like a Mecha perspective, and I love. And I love it. I wish we could have gotten more. Yeah, it's how it's how they adapted to the uh, you know the the mecca, the heavy lifter, literally the heavy lifters. Yes, in society. Exactly. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. And but Pilebur has never never been more than a cult, um, by a bit of popularity than um, like in, in in the U.S. I mean, we're lucky that apparently the uh, I can't remember who was someone was said they were bringing in the. Uh, they were, they were, we we published the uh, the anime series again, but um, I mean it's good that, it's good that they are because the anime is a series that deserves being um, continuously um, in publication. As do the two movies. Yeah, there were three movies, but no, trust me, <laughs> the two only the two first two were worth worth watching. It's like first first one, I mean, the two were directed by um, two the first two were directed by Mamoru Oshii and written by Kazunori Ito, who also gave us the Ghost in the Shell movie. What's also worth mentioning is that the first that they also treat, they also treat the material with a bit with a great deal more seriousness than you get from the TV series. I'm picking with the first movie. I mean, it's it's all it's all straight straight up drama. As the um, as the Palaver crew has to deal with a bunch of rogue laborers, um, like um, like 
a bunch of rogue leaders that I just like um, arise from like this construction on the Babylon project, this giant um, like landfill operation, like in the to- in to- Tokyo Sea. But um, and it's, it that was good. But the thing is, like Pat Labor Two is special because it represents the perfect extension of Oshi's style. Because the thing is, like I mean, Oshi is one of the uh, most prominent directors, most prominent and famed directors of anime for his work on Ghost in the Shell. But the thing is, yes, he, he not only is he done Ghost in the Shell, he's, he's done this, he did the sequel movie, which basically amplified the um, move, the first movie, Strengths and, Strengths and the Weaknesses. He did the Skycrawlers, which was unfortunately more Mr. Shine's theaterable than anything else. <laughs> but he's also done, he also had lots of work on um, Urusei Atsura, um, Uruka Takahashi's um, great alien romance series. And um, well, I think that on the second movie, um, Beautiful Dreamer, is his best work. Uh, Pat Labor 2 represents the most perfect extension of his style in terms of, you know, just thoughtfulness and action. It's like, in in the, it's like, like in, in anime. It's like, you, I mean, it doesn't have the stylish excesses that um, Ghost in the Shell has, and it's also got some great scenes where like, the tension is is derived from just, you know, like nothing happening. It's just a great point where, where Tokyo, um, or they're they're feeling this attack on Tokyo Bay, but but they can't actually like, track the um the the fighters on the screen, and uh, you're just like wondering what's going on here. It's like and it's it's beautiful in the way that generates tension. It's like no one knows what's going on for this particular scene. In fact, Pat Number Two is the best post 9/11 movie. Only it was made in 1993. Exactly. Yes, because it's basically it, it hinges upon a terrorist attack on a bridge. In in like in Tokyo and um, special vehicles um, section two section two's response to it, I mean it's like it's got one of my favorite moments from the series in the sense that like Captain Goto and he, who is never ever um, upset about anything. I mean he's just like a cool, calm, collected person and everything. But in Pilot Two, he actually completely loses it in one scene when um, his super superiors um, don't recognize it, that shit is going. Shit is getting real in Tokyo, so it's it's a great movie, and I've like completely I've completely um like lost the thread from talking about manga here. But this is the Pat Labor. But it's worth mentioning. I, I I think it's worth mentioning just because you know it helps color the manga you're talking about. Yes. You know, and uh, and I and just based on the uh, the level of terrorism that is written into that second movie. Um, you really want. You really should watch it. It's definitely noteworthy for this podcast. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I swear to God, like, Pat Labor Two. It's like it, it's all. It's just scary how much more relevant this film has gotten it, over the. You years. know what's interesting is that uh, you know even post nine eleven, but it's also post sarin gas attack, and there were some there were some serious questions that had to be answered about that about no, that. I, I, they, think, they, I, they, I think I think it came out pre sarin gas attack. Yeah, it's pre sarin gas attack. When sarin gas attack happened in Japan in the subways, um, if you didn't know, it's a it a cult uh, a cult. I forget the name of the cult. Uh, they. They had an atta- a sarin gas. Yeah, on on Ryu or something like that. Yeah, so um, essentially, you know, but uh, this movie, you know, came out before that, and uh, I believe the question, the, the police even questioned him. The authorities questioned it. You know, they they brought him in and they asked him. You know, I don't know if it was just as a consultant or whatever, because the, the, it was eerily similar to, yeah. to one of the scene. You know, one of the things that you see in the movie. Yeah, here's the, here's a craziest bit. Why I think it was like the most. Scariest bit about why Pat Labor Two is more relevant today than it is now. Because like, there's this moment. No, here's because the thing is like, 
there's this moment when um like when Godot finds out that the American the American Navy is going to like basically um show up is going to like in, intercede like America's gonna like, like show up and take take care take care of business like because Japan can't do it and when I first saw this movie like back in the late nineties I thought oh no there's no way America would do that and but post Island I was like. Holy shit! I, I I can actually believe that the world now. has changed. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's <laughs> I mean, it's scary how much like how much more relevant Pat Labor Two has got over, over the years. But that is the recommendation, you know. I mean, yes, yeah, it's a good it's a good uh, yeah. recommendation to add to the manga that you're reviewing. Yeah, I mean, it's like I mean, it may, it may sound like this is like medicine, like this is like we're talking about like current events, personal political, but Pat, but the Pat Labor Pat Labor Two is like it's it's not. I swear to God, it's. It's great, compelling drama, and it's and it's, it's a great capstone to the uh, to, to, to the to the um, to the series. I mean, it's like I mean, there was a third movie made. We don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, that was a Jedi mind trick for you guys. Oh, the only best part, of, the only, only good part of the third third movie were, were the um, shorts they made for it. <laughs> yeah, that was true. Okay, but okay, we want to wrap this up on a positive note here, and I want to talk about. Um, something like positive called them. Then we're going back to like this like short like quirky um otaku stuff. This is a series called Maniac Room. This whole side DR Master. DR Master, form, um later in those comics one who are is no longer with us. And this series is, it, this is actually a, a a really otaku centric um title for like for its time. That um, let's see what it was published. Let's see, um, back in two, first edition, July two thousand four. So, so it's basically focuses on a on a hard on Taku named Takezo, who um, basically um, winds up winds up falling in with these um, three sisters, um, older the, the older perfect sensible minded um, Haruna, the um, the younger um, uh, anti otaku um, sportsman like um, um, Aoba, and the youngest um, like. Um, Lolita, um, most hardcore, hardcore taku fighter game girl of them all, um, Isuzu. As he as he winds up um, falling in with them, helping their, helping their store, not only get out of out of bankruptcy and bankruptcy and debt, but also um, turning into like the um, most um, impressive otaku um, like um, store in, in Akihabara. Now, this series is both is. Um, is both um, refreshing and irritating in equal measure. Read as I reread it um, nowadays, because like it, pr- it presents what I, I like to believe is a, is a really positive, refreshing view of otaku. In the sense that it's like you know Takezo, yes, he's hard, he's hardcore and all, but you know, he's productive. Like he wants to um he wants to um make make the store the girls run into a, a great into a great um like otaku paradise. He's not just you know a consumer. He is a he is productive. He wants to just you know make things um, like you know create. He wants he's a creator. He wants to make things make things that Otaku will, will respect and all. And that's that's what I appreciate. But at the same time, though, I mean, like it's a relentlessly positive version of Otaku in the sense that we know that you know all Otaku you know aren't necessarily like good people in the sense that you know they're they're the kind of like will buy. Like hundreds of copies of um, AKB48's latest CD and all, and just and also just you know like um like like rant on their late their favorite um seiyu or um, idol idol singers 
I'm my I'm sad as just like, oh just because she's got a boyfriend and all it's like well shit man it's like of course she's gonna like she's gonna like I'm get a real boyfriend what you thought you thought you were gonna be your boyfriend <laughs> not fucking happening guy but um but it's but but yeah right off, off of like a, it's, it's a um it's a nice fun almost refre- like generally refreshing perspective on on a topic like kind of the ideal version that I hope they would keep but at the same time. I can't help but think that, that Takezo would look at um, today's Otaku and just think that, you know, like their relentless um, feeling about them is just is just kind of you know more annoying than any, anything else. I mean, there are like lots of fun fun like bits such as um such as like their trip to uh their trip to um Kaniket and like how he how Takezo has to manage their manage his group's um expectations once their uh their dignity is like is revealed it was going to be arriving late because they uh. They submit at the very last minute, and the people in the printers have encountered um, traffic problems on um, the city, and that's that's bad. But also, did you also get like bits where he we helps run a um, tabletop RPG game, and things go kind of like awry in in in, in an interesting fashion. And also, like it's also worth noting that their um their main um uh their main antagonist, like the head of like the uh, the the otaku um like. Like the the otaku um centric I'm um, sure cauliflower, so he's like yeah even though he's ma- meant as the o- the antagonist like it's also kind of funny because he's kind of like a uh, he he's also like pre- presented as kind of an even weirder otaku than them because like while Takezo like I chose up so, um to- chose up as this um is this one um like uh, as this one character for this fighting game called Cosmic Mask it's like. Oh, I'm caught, and then I'm in the here. Head of cauliflower goes, oh, oh yeah, oh cram. I'm like I'm Cosmic Mask RX, the secret, um, super secret um character from that fighting game you're cosplaying as. I mean, it's like it's it's hard to hate of an antagonist who um who is even who who is even more of a hardcore ridiculous otaku than than the main character. So, so yeah, there it's like Manic Road. Like I said, stop the um. Like it's not like a really uh, hard, like uh, like scary in depth profile of Otaku, but it's saying, but it's kind of like the uh, the vision of Otaku that I kind of wish that most 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 Otaku in Japan would conform to. And it's a lot of it's 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 fun, it's fun, it's obscure, but here's the thing: like, all of these series, at least according to Amazon, are, are either a, um, still in print because Dark Horse, even they're 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 shit at getting um, their series published, they're still great at keeping things in print. Or B, so they're uh, completely obs- so obscure that their um, their resale value is like uh, within the cents or dollars um, on Amazon. So there you go. All the stuff I talked about here, you can still easily find like on Amazon, or you know even if you're just going to your um, local convention, like say finding it like right now. It's like we're going to like John and I will be hitting up the uh, swap meet later tonight to see if like what shit we can get. I'm hoping I can find um, great copies of um, Warriors Orochi 3 for the Wii, Wii U, or um, my Dashi Warriors um, 7 Extreme Legends for less than 10 bucks. But hey, you know, it's like Hope Springs Eternal and all with that. So, oh, so that being said, John, anything to add? Lots of bad. No. Uh, no bad. No bad. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> Okay, well, on that note, it's like I appreciate you for sticking with me for as long as this podcast has run because God knows I'm sure this is probably run more than 30 minutes, maybe even 40. But 
Yeah, it's like, you know, this, I mean, we may even, there was one title I was planning on talking about, but you know, talking about these these um, five right here was, was was scary enough. But hey, we've, like I said, there's enough obscure manga titles that I'm sure I can do like a second or third or fourth like Hidden Treasures of Manga on podcast, and I'm sure we'll be getting, getting that. Maybe even next year when we go to, go to Fonda again. All right, and we'll see you next time on Comic Picks by the Glick. Laters.